The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue in the book of Revelation, we've come to the blowing of the sixth trumpet in Revelation chapter 9. We saw in the first part of this sermon that God is now dealing with the wicked on the earth. When the fifth trumpet was blown, he suffered demonic spirits to be released upon the earth, primarily to torment the wicked, although many times they also afflict God's children. In today's conclusion of the sermon that we began yesterday, we see that no matter how desperate or difficult the circumstances get, the wicked will not repent. They may feel sorry for the consequences of their sins, but they will not engage in true godly repentance. But thankfully, those who are children of God are able to repent when God's chastening falls upon them. Elder Buddy Abernathy takes us through the blowing of this sixth trumpet both from the standpoint of how it affects the wicked and also from the standpoint of how God's chastening affects the children of God. Join us today for the conclusion of this sermon. But first, we have a song selection that we hope you enjoy. Oh 
read Psalm 51 sometimes when David was saying, my sin is ever before me. You know, he said, create in me a clean heart. He felt condemnation. There was godly sorrow. But look in uh, Genesis chapter 4. Here's a man that did not have godly sorrow, but he had the sorrow of this world. The sorrow of this world is, I thought that my plan and scheme would get me good results, but it didn't work out, and now I'm sorrowful over it. I'm not repentant. If I had another opportunity, I'd do the same thing again if I could get better results. But you remember what Cain did? Cain killed his brother. And the judgment on him by God was that you're going to be a vagabond. You know, and I'm going to put this in my own words. Well, I'll just, here it is right now. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 11. Here's God's curse on Cain for murdering his brother. He says, and now art thou cursed from the earth which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Now that just simply means, uh, Cain, uh, you, you know, he was a farmer. That's what he knew to do, a tiller of the ground. And the Lord says, no matter where you farm, you're not going to have a crop. So what's he going to do? Wander around all over the world trying to find a place to grow a crop. He's just going to be a vagabond. That's what it means. And notice what Cain's response was in verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment, not my sin, my punishment is greater than I can bear. See, that's how the wicked are. And by the way, the reason I know Cain is not a child of God is because in, in the New Testament, I'll not turn to that, I believe it's in 2 Peter, it says he was of that wicked one. The reason I can judge and say Cain is not a child of God is because the Lord said he's not a child of God. You know, the only reason we know Lot is a child of God is because the Bible describes him as just, Lot. The word just means righteous. He didn't live righteously, but he was, he was righteous in the sense that he was a child of God. His sins were covered by the blood of Christ. He was positionally righteous with God, although he ruined his life by living among the most ungodly influences of this world in a very wicked city, right? His family right there with him in that place. Cain just said, my punishment's greater than I can bear. Here's a man that killed his brother. and It doesn't even bother him. Wicked men do not repent. Now, let's look at what the Bible says about Esau. Remember Esau, he was so hungry. He was desperate and Jacob had some food and Jacob, you know, he was, the Bible says he was a child of God, but he really didn't live like one if you read his biography in the Bible. But Jacob said, give me your birthright. 
Give me the way we might think of it. Sign over to me your rights as the, as the firstborn. Well, you know, after you eat and that, those pangs of hunger, hunger go away, uh, you know, you might rethink that. <laughs> you know, just think of a time when you've been hungry. Now, most of us, the most we know about being hungry is missing one meal. You know, you have breakfast, and for some reason you miss lunch, and let's say it's 4 or 5 o'clock, and you're out driving. I'm sure you're like me. You'll say, I don't care if I have to pay $30 or $40 for a meal. It doesn't matter. Well, see, that's just, that's just a much smaller scale of what's going on here with Esau. He, all he knew is he was starving. You know, he thought he was going to die. He probably wasn't at the point of death, but he, I'm sure he felt like it. So all that mattered at that point was getting a good meal. So he sold his birthright. And then after his body was satisfied with food, he began rethinking the consequences of what he did. And notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Begin with verse 14 just to avoid being in mid-sentence. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward he would have inherited the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now the first thought is, well, Brother Buddy, you just said, and you've been stating in several different ways that the wicked don't repent. Well, the word repent here has a different meaning. Now, when you think of the word repent, it means to reverse course. For example, we're most familiar with it used with regard to baptism, repent and be baptized. Reverse the course of your life, change the way you're going, turn to Christ, submit to baptism, become a Christian, deny yourself and follow Him. It means to change directions or to turn around. All right, let's look at the context of the word here. It, it doesn't, notice the wording used. Esau found no place of repentance. He's just, it's saying Esau couldn't undo what he did. He couldn't reverse it. He couldn't change it back. He couldn't turn it around. And notice it's not talking about Esau wanted to repent or tried to repent in terms of being convicted over his sins. It uses this terminology. He found no place of repentance. He found no way to change the situation. He found no way to undo it. He found no way to go from one direction to the other because it was too late. He had already sold his birthright, though he sought it carefully with tears. 
You know, a wicked man will cry <laughs> when he loses money. A wicked person that gambles and loses a big sum of money, they're going to cry over that. That doesn't mean they're sorrowful that they gambled and they want God to forgive them for being such an unwise steward. The point here is not any natural man, a child of God or not, is sorrowful when there are consequences in the natural realm, in this material world. And, you know, it, we could preach sometime about the advantages of being the firstborn and having that birthright and Esau's here crying because he's saying, you fool, you gave all that up for one meal. But our point is, wicked men do not repent of their sins. Now you say, brother buddy, I, don't, I hope I'm not in that category. Well, let's talk about us now for the remainder of the time. Before I do that, do that, don't you see how this will establish the doctrine of election? That there are people out there that it doesn't bother them what they do. They're not repentant. They're not sorrowful. But now I'm going to talk to you about the children of God. But notice first of all in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8. This will close out what we've been looking at so far. Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 8 says, If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers. Now let's stop there. That says all are partakers of chastisement, but it says it suggests, and yea, it says, that there's some that are without chastisement. Well, believers in election don't have any problem with that because Jesus said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Jesus says that God gave him power over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. All, all of God's children are chastened, and we'll establish that in a minute, but there's some that are without chastisement. And that's who we've been talking about. He refers to them as they're bastards. They're not sons of God. And then one more, this, this uh, puts the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, in the way this is worded. Proverbs chapter 27. You know, the book of Proverbs, more than anything else, more than any other one subject, contrasts the fool with the wise person. Now, children of God can be fools. I've been a fool. You've probably been a fool. A, a fool is simply this. Somebody says, is a fool somebody that's mentally deficient? No, a fool is someone that is mentally self-sufficient. I don't need any advice. Don't tell me what to do. That's a fool. I know everything already. That's a fool. And we can act as fools. But there are also time, you know, there's also times that word fool is used describing uh, the, the wicked of this world. Like, for example, I believe it's Psalm 10, 4. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, a child of God might, 
might be taught intellectually and, and be convinced by some professor whom he thinks uh, knows everything. He might be convinced in his mind, well, that sounds reasonable. But the fool says in his very, the core of who he is, he says there is no God. So you see, fool, I, don't, I want you to realize I, most of the time in Proverbs, when you read about a fool, always say, that could be me, that may be me. Don't say, that's just those that aren't children of God, so I don't have to worry about that. Don't look at it that way. But here's one that I think accurately describes the wicked by using the word fool. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 22. Though thou shouldest bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Now he's using agricultural terminology that I'm not totally familiar with, but listen to the words. Though you bray a fool in a mortar among wheat with a pestle, we might just say, though you beat him to death, his foolishness will not depart from him. That's kind of a conclusion of the fact that the wicked don't repent. Now, I've always thought of this with regard to chastening and repentance. When I have no other convincing evidence that I'm a child of God, I can always say, well, I feel condemned. And if I was a wicked reprobate, I wouldn't feel condemned. Isn't that a, a paradox? But I'm glad there is that paradox. That as a child of God, I should fear the Lord and follow Him. But when, when I really do bad and intentionally rebel and, and the Lord chastens me for it, that's solid evidence I'm a child of God. Now I'm not suggesting you go sin as much as you can so God will chasten you more so you'll be able to say, I know I'm a child of God. That's not the course to go. But all of us sin and that when we have, even when we don't feel like the Lord is close to us. And it's our fault that he's not close to us. The very fact that we can't stand it that way means you're a child of God. Now look at these two verses. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, there's the doctrine of election. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now what does it mean there when it says every son he receiveth? That's the same thing as saying every son he receives. That's not talking about receiving them into heaven. This is present tense. And furthermore, you're not going to be chastened in heaven. You're going to be delivered from all these problems with sin. I believe he's saying there when he refers to every son he receiveth, when a, when a person, when a, an elect child of God vitally becomes a child of God, when he's born again, when he's no longer dead in trespasses and sins, when he is alive in Christ, that's when chastening begins. And usually the first form of chastening is a sense of condemnation 
that there's no hope for me. But then what needs to happen, what we desire to be the normal course is that they hear the gospel and they say, there's the answer to my problem. So, so often, though, that doesn't happen, does it? So oftentimes, they hear a false gospel, or maybe their parents didn't go to church, so they never go to church. But if you bring your children up in the church, you, I, I remember when I was a, a boy, there seemed to be this confusion like, okay, now, I can't teach my children to know God. That's true. And so I don't need to teach them to know about God if they don't know God. Well, what you should do is teach them to know about God. You can do that. You can't teach them to know God. And if they're a child of God, he will teach them to know him in a basic sense. And when he does teach them to know him, they will already know about God. And they will instantly be able to recall those things and recall what the preacher had been saying in church. And that's the ideal scenario for them to repent and follow the Lord. Revelation 3.19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. And then finally, let me just read this portion of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And that's where we, we got that verse about the sorrow of this world. But let's read the rest of that verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. We've already talked about that second part. But notice the wording of this first part. Godly sorrow, we've already tried to establish what that is. Read Psalm 51 when you get home, and you'll read probably one of the best descriptions in the Bible of godly sorrow. When David, you know, that's after Nathan came to him and said, Thou art the man. You're the man that had all the sheep, but you took that one sheep that poor man, man had. You're the man that did that when you committed adultery of Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, you know, the reason I'm so glad the Lord preserved that is because, man, there's been times when I read it and say, well, at least I know there's somebody in the Bible that's going through what I'm going through or went through what I'm going through. Let me just read a couple of verses there. In Psalm 51, listen to this in verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Have you ever felt that way? I have. <laughs> my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Notice how this is such a contrast to Cain, my punishment's more than I can bear. David saying, against thee and thee only I've sinned. And Lord, you're justified in whatever you do to me. 
Verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice in me. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I've cried that out many times. Listen to this. Cast me not away from thy presence. Now, notice that prayer. He's not saying, Lord... Don't cast me out of your family. Don't cast me into hell. Cast me not away from your presence. You can't live in sin and enjoy God's presence at the same time. That's what he's talking about. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And that's not saying you can be born again today and lost tomorrow. This is talking about that fellowship, that closeness, and every one of you knows what I'm talking about. I don't have to convince you that. You know that when you, when you try to seek the Lord, that you'll feel His presence. I'm not saying you, if you seek the Lord, you're going to feel His presence at the same level nonstop. But you know as a, it, it, as a general rule, when you're trying to seek the Lord, He'll manifest His presence. And when you deliberately sin, He will not manifest His presence. You will not enjoy the fact that you're born of the Spirit. You're born of the Spirit, but you're not enjoying it while you're sinning. You're feeling condemned. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He did not stay, restore unto me thy salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. So in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, Godly sorrow, that's what, we, that's what David just described. What does godly sorrow do? Notice the wording here. It worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. Now, the first time repentance is used, it's used in the way we normally think about it, a, a a godly sorrow followed by a turning away from the sin. That's what the scriptures are generally referring to with repentance. But notice the second time the word is used. If you interpret it the same way both times, it doesn't make sense. He says, godly sorrow worketh repentance. Man, it, it'll, it'll probe you to turn from sin. It worketh repentance to salvation, that is to deliverance. You know, if you're condemned over your sin and you repent, you'll experience deliverance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. In other words, you're not, you, you've, you've turned from your sin, you've turned to God, and that experience keeps you from immediately turning back. See what I'm saying? It's a repentance not to be repented of. It's a repentance not to be turned away from and go back in the same direction. Now, you're probably just like me. I'm thinking, well, that describes my life. <laughs> I repent and then I repent of my repentance by going back into the same sin. Are you that way? Lord, I'm sorry. Please restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and I'll never do that again. Then when he blesses me with his presence, I do it again. Did you know that your, your life is just a microcosm of the history of Israel? <laughs> you know, the Lord blessed them 
they, they prospered, and so they, they began getting at ease, and they started plunging into the things of this world. The Lord chastened them. They cried out. He delivered them again. They prospered, stopped fearing God. Just that constant cycle over hundreds of years. Your life is just a microcosm of that. Mine is. I figure yours probably is too. But if what, what if God didn't chasten me? See, because the Lord, you know, in Hebrews 12, it talks about we have, we have earthly fathers that chasten us according to their pleasure. That doesn't mean that a father enjoys uh, chastening his child. The word pleasure there means according to their judgment. You know, as I look back at my children when they were young, I'm some, I know there's times I may have chastened too much, and I'm sure there's times I didn't chasten enough. I did it according to my judgment. But it goes on to say, He that is God for our prophet, He never gets it wrong. You never, he never chastens too hard. He's never too slack. When He chastens you because He knows everything about you, He gets it just right. And He does it in such a way that you'll be saying, Lord, if You'll deliver me from this, I'll stay on course. I won't fall back. That, you know, when I'm chastened and I repent and the Lord delivers me, at that moment, I am totally committed to saying, Lord, I'm not going to do that again. That's what it means here. God's chastening works. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. Thank the Lord that God won't let you enjoy sinning. Because <laughs> I'd sure enjoy it, wouldn't you? In Hebrews 12, it says this about the child of God. We can enjoy the pleasure of sin. And what does it say? You know what it says. For a season. You can enjoy it for a while, but it won't last. So thank God that he chastens you to keep you from going as far as you otherwise would. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.